You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handle them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. It all started with two federal agents who heard a rumor. She mentions, well, there is this alleged murder to have taken place. There was just one problem. They had no clue who the victim was. We have to do our job and we have to find out who did they kill? It had been 15 years since this alleged murder. Was it still possible to unearth the truth? I used to watch um, the Unsolved Mystery shows, and I often thought about calling because I was like, this is, this is not right. How can a person get killed and no one knows anything? I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover the Nameless Man. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to hear the entire season right now, ad-free, subscribe to Pushkin Plus on our Apple Podcast show page or on pushkin.fm slash plus. Pushkin. Hey, Double Date listeners, Marlo Thomas here. We have something special for you today. Phil and I have spent the past year interviewing other couples about what makes their marriage work. Well, we recently had the microphone turned on us. Joe Piazza of The Committed Podcast had us on to tell our own love story, and we wanted to share that episode with you. We started at the very beginning on the set of Phil's show and talked about how we grew together over the next four decades. Joe's committed interviews are an incredible glimpse inside what it takes to make a marriage work. Sometimes they're heartbreaking, sometimes hilarious, but always relatable. Joe finds couples who've gone through some of the most difficult challenges life can throw at you and still want to wake up together the next day. Her show will help you look at marriage and commitment in an entirely new way. So, okay, here's the episode. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio. Marlo Thomas is back. It's been a couple of years since she last visited with us. You are so thin. Am I? Uh-huh. Thinner oh. than I think last time. You've never been fat. 
No, no. I, I, drink, I eat a lot of food to try to gain weight, actually. You want me to move back? Oh, I'm in the way. Excuse me. Yes? Oh, shh. I'm upstaging you. <laughs> Don't oh. you just love the smooth show? <laughs> uh. That clip right there is the moment that Phil Donahue fell in love with Marlo Thomas. That moment right on his show in 1977 on a soundstage in Chicago. I'm sorry that we are out of time. You are really fascinating. And no, you but are. you are wonderful. I said it when we were off the air, and I want to say you are loving and generous, and you like women, and it's a pleasure. And whoever is the woman in your life is very lucky. Well, thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> How many of us have a video of the moment that we first fell in love? I actually have a picture of me on a plane right when I first saw Nick, right, that, that moment, which is pretty special. I love this video. Their chemistry is insane and undeniable. Phil is a little stumbly and so obviously smitten. Marlo is just so composed and insanely beautiful. You could watch this clip and not know anything about what happens next and still know in your soul that these two people end up together for the next 40 years. So um, I wasn't prepared because I had never seen this show because it wasn't in L.A. So when he walked into the green room with those killer blue eyes and that great white hair, and he shook my hand, and I thought, wow, what a good-looking man. And then we got out in the studio, and he was so confident. And just to watch him work the audience, and I was uh, very attracted to him. I mean, we had a chemical reaction to each other right right there. You could see it. I mean, it's embarrassing to look at that show because you can really see it. And I think the most important thing is really in a marriage is that it starts off like that, and that gets rekindled all the time so that there is that sort of not just sexual but also attachment there's a a magnet between you that's you don't have with anybody else it certainly was true with uh, me and marlo people just they do have that reaction to each other not always but often and i think when you start off that way it's so exciting and but it's risky yeah it's true uh, it's and, some... you know half half of us get divorced half of us so uh, you know you and me babe forever you know that's a that's a musical kind of lyrical idea it's it doesn't consist with reality and that's why making a marriage last can be such a challenging thing. It just isn't easy. Marriage isn't just a struggle. It's a struggle every now and then. But again, it's, it's braided, you know. You braid it with love and joy and struggle and sadness and happiness and fun and humor. And then another sad thing happens. That's life. It's going to happen whether you're with this person or not. It's just whether this person is the one that is worth going through life with and allowing each other to be as vulnerable as you want to be. There is no such thing as a marriage that is smooth sailing from beginning to end. No. It just happen. doesn't happen. You things know, that's pretty obvious to all of us older folks. Right. But it's, I don't know if it's totally something that young people are aware of. I'm Joe Piazza, and this is Committed.
Welcome to season six, guys. Last month, after more than 40 years of marriage, Bill Donahue and Marlo Thomas launched a podcast together, a podcast about long-term love. It's a show that a lot of our listeners are going to be very, very into. It's called Double Date, and on it, they interview longtime celebrity couples to find out what really makes a marriage work. We wanted to know what makes a marriage last. So in order to find out what makes a marriage last, you've got to have people who've had some experience being married and who'd been through things. You know, somebody been unfaithful. Kira Sedgwick and Kevin Bacon lost all their money to a Bernie Madoff. Imagine that. Michael J. Fox found out he had a lifelong diagnosis of Parkinson's three years into their marriage. Jamie Lee Curtis was addicted to pharmaceutical drugs, and her husband didn't even know it. I mean, people went through these terrible things, but they knew that they loved each other, and they were going to help them through it without blame, without, you know, anger, but to get to the other side. And somebody, and I said, I think it was Tracy Pollins, married to Michael J. Fox, she said, When you have a long marriage, you get through something hard, and there's kind of a relief in it. You think, well, wow, we got through that. We'll get through the next thing. So I love their podcast. What I needed to know was more about Phil and Marlo. I wanted to know how they made a marriage work for 40 years. What makes them tick? How they made it? How they blended a family together of Phil's four boys? And how they made long-distance love work between Chicago and Los Angeles? So I took us back to that very first moment on Phil's stage. It's 1977. Marlo's sitting next to Phil. She was on a nationwide tour promoting one of her many projects. And Phil is saying mostly all the right things, except for that line about how she looks so thin. I don't know if anyone would be able to say that today. But when he says it, he's just gazing adoringly at her. Well, um, you know, I was certainly attracted to her. I mean... If you're Catholic, you'll understand that she was an impure thought. (laughs) And uh, I did call you. Yeah. And I said, uh, I knew you were on a tour, and I said, what is your next city? Right. And you said, it's it's Denver. And you you said, is— I said, is Denver very far from Chicago? And he goes, oh, no, it's not far at all. So he came for dinner. And, uh, yeah, I flew to Denver. And we had dinner, and, and yeah, we uh, pretty much fell in love. <laughs> yeah, that was the beginning of it. And uh, <laughs> I love to hear Phil try to get through this without being too mushy. Go uh, ahead. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, I think I had a cold, did I not? From uh, You did, because you we walked in the rain, and you took your coat off, and then you lost your voice. And I did. This was a huge deal. Phil Donahue had the biggest talk show in America at the time. He needed to talk. Who was this woman? Who was this woman that stole Phil's voice? He had no voice, and his producer was thinking, who is this woman that gets Phil to go leave Chicago, get a call, miss a show? But it was, it was a, we were certainly smitten at first sight. Phil was, I guess, 40 when I met you, and I was 38 when I met you. We were already grown people who'd had careers and other relationships. And, and a and he marriage. Had, and you had children. I did not have a marriage, but he'd had a marriage and children. But we'd had other lives. And we come to each other with a lot of experience, 
that should be appreciated in our differences, our accomplishments. Phil was always the first person to tell me how proud he was of what I was accomplishing or what I had already accomplished. I mean, that's a great that's a great gift that your partner gives you, is that, that kind of cheerleading. It, boy, that's very big, I think, in a marriage. Yeah. As a parent, I wish I had learned that much earlier. Yeah. The biggest challenge in their early years was geography. Phil's entire life was in Chicago, and Marlowe's entire life was in Los Angeles. It was a time in my career where I was making uh, television movie after television movie. I, I produced and starred in about 12 films all in a row. And Free to Be was one of the uh, pro- projects at that time. It happened one Christmas. I mean, there were so many of them. And Phil was doing a show every day at 9 a.m. live in Chicago and four boys, raising four boys. So, I, I mean, the traveling was just crazy and upsetting. And we'd we'd always have an argument on Sunday night. One of us would be going back home. And it took us a while to realize that the reason we fought on Sunday nights is that we were unhappy, that we were leaving each other. I think geography was the biggest problem. And we broke up for three months, obviously, before we were married, and said, it's too much. Phil said, I've got these kids. I've got to get them through high school. I've, I've got my show. And I said, I, I, you know, I can't come every weekend. I've got responsibilities. I've got music scoring. I've script to write. You know, I just can't. Do, so it was just impossible. So we broke up. And after we broke up, I went back to an old boyfriend and I think you went back to an old girlfriend or some new girlfriends, whatever, for about three months. And after the three months, we both realized that we needed each other. I often say to people when they're concerned about whether or not they want to get married to a certain person, I say, you know, separate for a couple of months. It really gives you a good perspective. It really does. I would be out to dinner with another man, and I'd be thinking, you know, Phil would love this or that with that. I would be... He was on my mind all the time. Marlo never wanted to be married. In fact, when she was starring in and producing the sitcom That Girl, a show about a single woman living on her own, the network producers wanted to end the series with a wedding. Marlo refused. She didn't even want to get married on TV. She did not want to give the impression that the only happy ending for a woman was marriage. She was also terrified of getting married because she'd never really seen a happy and equal marriage in her own family. My father was one of ten, nine Lebanese boys who were not abusive to their wives, but very dominating. And uh, my mother was one of five Italians, four girls and a boy, and all of them uh, were involved with dominating men. And my parents, my mother gave up her career. My father, you know, ran the, the world. I just didn't want to live that way. I thought, nah, that's not for me. And I had wonderful relationships with men in my life, but I I just didn't want to be married. I just thought I want a career. I want to be free. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want anybody telling me when I have to come home or that I can't do this. Or my mother's friends would say things like, well, he lets me do this or he'll let me have that. I just wasn't raised to want that. And then I met Phil and... Uh, We've been going together about six or seven months, and he asked me to marry him. And I said, no, I I really don't ever want to be married. And so we kept together, going together. And then about three years went by, and then one day I said, you know, 
Maybe I do want to be married. Three took, years. It took <laughs> three years, and you were very patient. Well, that time you were busy raising your kids, and you had your show. So we were busy working and stuff, but we were always together. Marlo moved in with Phil and his four boys into their house in Winnetka, Illinois. I was a little naive. You know, I thought, oh, I'm in love with this man, and by the way, he has four sons. I married a family. I didn't marry a man. I married a family. At, at first, I thought, well, I'm not their parent. Phil's their parent, and he'll tell him, you know, discipline them and, and teach them and so forth. It wasn't—it took a while for me to realize that I really had to be a, a part of the decision-making entity. I couldn't pretend that I was a, a bystander. I wasn't. It was a family. And I helped bring it back to being a family because their parents had been divorced for a while when I met Phil. The boys are like boys, you know. They took their dinner and one would eat it in their bedroom and one would eat it in the living room watching television and one would eat it over there, whatever there. And I said, come on now, let's have a dinner time. And we'd sit down at the table, all of us, And Phil said he got to know his kids better because at the dinner table, they had a real family conversation. When I had them all by myself, I mean, I was really, I I was scared. I didn't know what to do with them. I mean, do I help them all with homework? I mean, four? And I have to say, I was very impatient. I I went off. I mean, I'd have, well, what the kids called a spaz. That's two Zs. (laughs) You know, a spaz was... Something that bothered me, and I went up. I remember one time I passed Michael, who was on the phone, and he was saying to his friend, let me call you back. My dad is having a spaz. And when Marlo came, who was it, Michael? I think it was Michael. Michael said to her, we like it when you're here because dad doesn't have as many spazzes when you're here. (laughs) So... Uh, You know, Marlo was a big hit with my kids. Well, I I brought, you know, what wasn't in the house, the female energy, a mother energy. And they were good boys, though. They really were. They were a lot like Phil. You know, they were all loved athletics. They liked to laugh. They were fun. They liked to ski. They liked to play. It was fun for me. And they knew me from Free to Be You and Me, so I wasn't a complete stranger to them, and they knew I made their father happy. And I think, isn't that what everybody wants? You know, they want their parents to be happy, and I wanted them to be happy. I wanted to be something good in their lives. Marlo told me this story about how she became the godmother to her stepson Michael's children. Their baby was supposed to be born around Christmas time, and Michael and his wife called Marlo and said, hey, we need to talk to you about something We don't want you to be the step anything to this baby. We want you to be this baby's godmother. And that meant so much to me that they had really appreciated my caring and my love of them and their dad. Because, you know, being a step parent can be a very thankless job. You know, you're on eggshells. You don't want to upset anything. And you don't want to take liberties where you shouldn't. I know Mary Steenburgen said... She has two children of her own, and she married Ted Danson with his own two daughters. And she said, I just wanted to be a cheerleader for them. So everybody has their way. With us, it was different because I moved into the house and the four boys were there. 
But it's, it was a good experience for me. So Phil and Marlo had been merging their lives together. But after years of living between L.A. and Illinois, they ultimately decided to give up their respective cities and make an entirely new life together in New York. And we would start a new life. We gave up where we were, gave up our own homes, and decided to make a life. It was a a real commitment. But it's not so much that you can't live without somebody. It's that you just want to live with them. And nobody can be somebody's everything. Right. That's a musical lyric. Baby, you're my everything. No, no, don't get into that because it's not possible for somebody to be somebody's everything. And you don't have, what's the word, a a, a contract for somebody, as I said, to become you or for you to become them. The excitement of a, a good marriage, I think, is not that one and one equals two, but it equals 2,000. You find all the parts of yourself that are can be nurtured by this other person. That's the exciting part. I think marriages go stale when there's not uh, enough, we call it juiciness, but I think there's just not enough interest in a lot of things. When we first started going together, you said to me, I've never been with a woman who has so much interest in so many other things other than me. That's what you said. I'm sure I did. And I thought that was an adorable thing to say. You know, that he was really saying, I see this, you aren't going to be completely focused on me, and I like it. You know, that was an interesting... I realized I was not her everything. And it was helpful. (laughs) I mean, you know, it makes it easier to get through the reality of life. Well, but now you are. (laughs) Now you are pretty much my everything. But uh, I think it happens, it happens year by year by year by year. But it doesn't, you know, it's not something you give over to somebody. It's something that grows and grows until, you know, it's braided. You know, like you see a tree where the two uh, uh, barks are braided, that happens naturally. It's not something you can promise to somebody or, or make them give to you. It's just something that, that starts to happen. And I think, you know, Phil said earlier that half of marriages end in divorce. I think they end in divorce because they're never really taking the time. Well, they didn't try. Time, they didn't try. But time, we uh, have a ritual when every year on our anniversary, from our very first year, we don't buy each other a present. We buy a trip that we take together. In the early years, it was difficult to find the time. I was working in L.A. He was working in Chicago and had children and uh, four boys that lived with him. It was very, very hard to find the time, but we always did it. We'd get two weeks or 10 days or one week, whatever we could get. And we'd go to Japan, or we'd go to Indonesia, or upstate Washington, wherever we could get the time. But time is what we gave each other. It's the most precious thing that you can give each other. And people, you know, do date nights and stuff. They kind of squeeze them in. But we took this big chunk of time and gave it to each other. And in that time where there's nothing there, at that time there weren't cell phones in many of those years, but the time without kids, without the phone, without work, without responsibility, just to be together. You can't have a long marriage without accommodating the other person. You just can't. 
It's impossible. But there's always going to be growing pains, especially when you get married later in life, when you're already a fully formed grown-up with your own lives, your own friends, your own careers and interests, your own sides of the bed, your own favorite TV shows, all of your own stuff, your own baggage. I'm a very impulsive person and Phil's a very laid-back person. So uh, he's the kind of person that if something happens that needs a reaction, he will sit back and go over many of the options. I, on the other hand, am running for the phone. I'm going to fix it now. And sometimes that's good and sometimes that's not good. So we had to figure out how to talk it through so that if he took forever, or not forever, but if he took a while to think about it, to me it felt like forever and I was aggravated by that. And if I jumped for the phone, he was aggravated that I was being too impulsive. So we had to learn how to come to a middle ground there and say, okay, let's just think about this for a couple of minutes and let's just see. I don't think this is a good thing to react to right away. This one really hit home for me. The idea of just taking some time to find a middle ground. See, I am also very impulsive. And Nick, he's one of those people that needs to marinate. He's got to marinate on things. But it's taken me five plus years of marriage to figure that out. Somebody once said that a successful marriage is is one where both people don't panic at the same time. So we had to learn that as well. That the fact that he does take longer than I do and that I do work quicker than he does, react quicker. We both had to appreciate that in each other and give each other the opportunity to at least make their case before we, you know, decided it wasn't the best way. You let each person make their case. And sometimes we go his way and sometimes we go my way. Despite being very, very famous people, for a long time, Phil and Marlo tried to keep their marriage out of the spotlight. Up until this point in our lives, we've never talked about our marriage. We thought from the very beginning that our marriage would be healthy for its privacy. So we kept a very low profile. When we first got married, we were came back from our honeymoon. We, everybody wanted us to host host the Emmys, host the People's Choice Awards, be on the cover of People magazine. It was overwhelming. We sat down and talked about it and said, let's not do this. If we just keep it private, maybe people won't pick at it. We'll do our careers and we'll keep our personal life private. But then like 39 years later, they got this idea for a podcast. Well, we looked up and realized we've been married for 100 years. (laughs) So maybe we have something to share. Uh, well, also, people had always asked us, how, how does your marriage last? How do, what, what do you do and everything? We said, we don't know. I love him. He loves me. We like each other. I like the way he smells. Does that count? Uh, we started thinking about it. And when we were having our 39th anniversary, we heard from a couple that was getting a divorce that had been married a long time. And we said, wow, I wonder what they did wrong. And I wonder what we did right. And... We just got curious about it. And so we did that until this time. And we thought, let's find out what makes it work. And then Phil said, okay, I'll do this with you. I'll go on these double dates and everything, but I'm not going to talk about our marriage. And I said, okay. I mean, after 40 years, you're not going to change somebody. But then when we got into these conversations, like when 
Mark Consuelos talked about his jealousy with Kelly Ripa. Phil talked about his jealousy with Chris Christopherson. Marla made a movie with Chris Christopherson. And there was a uh, love scene in the movie. It was four minutes long. It looked to me like it was about four years long. <laughs> I remember sitting and watching this. And I really did. I had a, I had a sense of how draining jealousy is. It takes away the time that, you know, should be devoted to improving the marriage, building the marriage, making you close. And, you know, it's nothing to do with the person who is the object of your jealousy. You know, Kelly Ripa had not done anything to make her husband jealous. That was his own ballgame. And that's another thing, you know, because when somebody is jealous, whether it's male or female, they're blaming it on you, and you didn't do anything. It's it's in their head, and that's something that the couples have to come to. I mean, Phil was very jealous of me with men, beginning of our relationship, where you talked too long with that man at the party and so forth. And then after a while, you just gave it up. You didn't think it anymore, right? Well, yeah, and, and it was, it. the lesson for me was it just, took a lot of weight off my shoulders to be able to stab jealousy in the heart and get rid of it is a very liberating thing. When you sit down with another couple, you're sharing stories. That's the fun of being with somebody with another couple or being with a group of people. And so we were sharing stories. And before you knew it, even my silent Sam Irishman here started opening up to these people. I mean, he didn't open up to me. He's always been open to me, but to other people, which is, I think you're pretty amazed that you've done that, right? Well, we wound up, uh, you know, we figured these interviews would be like, what, 25 minutes, <laughs> half hour? Well, Three yeah, hours, some of Yeah, we, well, you know, and then finally we, uh, I would say, you know, I'm really sorry, but we have to leave. <laughs> and, you know, and they would look at me. It got a laugh. Because they had been wondering themselves, when are these people going to leave? <laughs> no, they weren't. We made friends, actually. We made some new friends. Some of the people, like Alan Alda and Arlene Alda and Rob Reiner and Michelle Reiner, we knew a lot of the people, but many we didn't know. And it was fun to get to know them in such an intimate way. And we were both surprised that so many people said yes that they would Sit yeah. down with us. We came right. to their, went to their homes, and and they put out things to drink and eat. We had a really fun time, a really fun time. I think it it mellowed us to see how all these people uh, found the safe spot. We we said to each other, you know, our marriage is really a cushion. It's a cushion in life that if you don't have that, boy, life has got a lot of sharp corners. But when you have someone who has your back, as all of these people did, uh, and we do, it gave us an appreciation for that. Phil will say to me sometime, oh, that's great that you got that for us or that you invited that person over. I'm so glad you did that. I'm so glad that we you know, did this thing you thought of. It's an appreciation for the other person or a gratitude, you know, to say to each other, I'm so grateful 
for what you said to me this morning about how I needed to not feel bad about something. I'm so grateful for what we have together. It means so much. I mean, I see marriage like a big plant, a big tree, and you need to water it. You know, nothing living can continue to flourish unless you water it, unless you give it food and nourish it. And I think a lot of people get married and then they think, okay, we're married. But it's not that it's a lot of work, because that sounds drudgery. It's that it just needs attention. I think just having the, the conversation made our own marriage roomier. We had more room in the marriage because we were bringing in all these other people's feelings and experiences. We kind of absorbed them and appreciated. It was fun. It, it was. was fun talking to people yeah. who took their marriage seriously. say that I've played so many excerpts of this conversation with Phil and Marlo to Nick. You're definitely teaching me something about my own marriage. Much like Phil and Marlo, making a podcast about marriage has actually improved my own marriage. It has. I don't know if it has for Nick, but it has for me. So many of these episodes become like marriage therapy for me because they let me see how other couples live in the world what they do behind closed doors, what they actually believe, how they just get things done and live in the world together. And even after having such a long marriage, their podcast did the same thing for Phil and Marlo. And I think when we were interviewing all these couples, these kinds of topics would come up. You know, it was a double date. That's why we call it double date. They would talk about jealousy. We would talk about jealousy. They would talk about fighting. How do you come back from a fight? That's a big thing. We talked about sex. We asked, Allie Wentworth uh, is such a darling. I love her. She's so funny and she's so out there and wild and free. And she's married to George Stephanopoulos, who's a pretty buttoned up guy. And you would never fix them up together, but they're, they're, they're perfect together. And we asked her, she's written some books about relationships. And I said to her, what's your advice about sex? And she said, have it and have a lot of it which I thought was great. Rob Reiner said uh, he's married to Michelle. They have a great marriage, too. I said, what's your advice for a young married couple? He said, marry your best friend that you can have sex with. So sex, best friend, no jealousy. I mean, these are kind of, as you start to look at the building blocks of how people have made their marriages work, you see that these are some of the ingredients. Avoid a marriage that involves only one passionate member. I have to wonder how many people went through life dragging their spouse across the world. A spouse not interested in the marriage. Not as committed. You see that a lot in relationships where one person is doing all the accommodating and then that does become work. And that's no longer a love story. Because a marriage really has to be a love story, too. There's a, a, a growing love story. I mean, many people spoke to us about the fact that they love 
their wife or husband more now than when they first got married because they got to know them and they like them better. And the more you like somebody, the more you love them and more you cherish them. This episode of Committed was hosted and reported by Joe Piazza, with special thanks to Marla Thomas and Phil Donahue. Supervising producer is Ramsey Yunt. The executive producers are Joe Piazza and Tyler Klang. Theme song and music by Tristan McNeil. For comments, suggestions, or to be part of the show, give us a call at 404-996-1173. That's 404-996-1173. Or send us an email at Joe at committedpodcast.com. That's J-O at committedpodcast.com. You can grab a copy of Joe's book, How to Be Married, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio and produced in our studios located in Atlanta, Georgia. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If you like this episode, you can listen to Committed wherever you get your podcasts. It all started with two federal agents who heard a rumor. She mentions, well, there is this alleged murder to have taken place. There was just one problem. They had no clue who the victim was. We have to do our job, and we have to find out who did they kill. It had been 15 years since this alleged murder. Was it still possible to unearth the truth? I used to watch um, the Unsolved Mystery shows, and I often thought about calling, because I was like, this is, this is not right. How can a person get killed and no one knows anything? I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover The Nameless Man. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to hear the entire season right now, ad-free, subscribe to Pushkin Plus on our Apple Podcast show page or on pushkin.fm slash plus. Plus.